Primary Care Knowledge Boost, an introduction to quality improvement. Hello and welcome back to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Today we are talking to Dr. Joanna Bircher about quality improvement. Um, Joanna has been on the podcast before, um, but we haven't heard from her about quality improvement, of which she knows quite a lot. <laughs> this episode was designed with GP fellows in mind, but as you'll hear, it's completely accessible and relevant to everyone working in general practice. Yeah, Joanna's massively passionate about quality improvement and she's done modules for the Royal College of General Practice as well and um, they're accessible, we'll, we'll link to those. So she's a perfect person to talk very passionately about the topic. So we start with what quality improvement is and how it differs from audits and why it's so important. Yep, and then we go on to talk about the processes you can follow um, and some helpful tools and tips to think about before you start as well as throughout the entire process. We hope you enjoy and we're back at the end with our learning points. So if we start with introductions, Joanna, do you mind introducing yourself to listeners that might not have heard from you before? Um, hi, Sarah. Hi, Lisa. And for those who've not um, listened to my podcast here before, I'm Joanna Bircher. I'm a GP in Thameside in Greater Manchester um, and I'm the clinical director of the GP Excellence Programme. Perfect. So quality improvement. You're going to get us very excited about it. <laughs> Oh, I do hope so. It, um, there's lots of things that I love about general practice, but um, the, our opportunity to kind of make a difference um, by kind of introducing new things that will make things better for our, our teams, for our own working lives and for our patients is something that I'm particularly interested in. So, yeah, it's really lovely to talk about it. Brilliant. Lovely. And so just as a sort of introduction, what are we talking about when when we do talk about quality improvement? It, well, it's really about how do you make things better in a systematic way. So um, we do things kind of every day that can improve the quality of our patient's experience. So just things like getting more comfortable seats for our waiting room will make the experience of waiting better. But that's more a kind of just more random, whereas a, a quality improvement or a QI approach is just doing it a little bit more systematically where we um, use certain techniques to get an understanding of what people's experience is and really kind of unpick problems before we try and apply different ways of, of fixing them. So it's a, a systematic approach to um, to improving things for, for, for us and for our patients. That's that's what, what QI is, really, I suppose, in a nutshell. Great. Um, and I guess speaking speaking for all medical professionals out there, why, why should we care about QI? I, I think it was Paul Batalden, who's a guru in this area, who said that in healthcare, those of us who work in healthcare have got two jobs. We've got our job, the thing that we deliver, the healthcare, and we've got improving improving our job. So um, if, we, if we don't do it, who will? Because we'll be the people that notice. And we'll be the people that um, that our patients will tell us what their experiences has been, and we get to see it. We witness processes that work well, that don't work well. And um, so, really, I mean, I, I I stand by that. I think we really do have both. Have to keep both things. And and if we don't do both, actually, we get quite frustrated because we feel like we can't change things that we know are holding us back and and making things bad for our patients. So, I, I think we, we're we're well positioned to do it as long as. We have some of the skills to do it and we're given the time to do it. I think those things are really important. Well, hopefully we'll talk about some of the skills today to equip people a little bit better. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about the different types of quality improvement that there are? I think it's probably um, more useful to think about what, what quality is. So what are we aiming for when we're trying to um, improve things for, for our patients and for um, for the people working in healthcare? So 
we want healthcare to be safe, don't we? We want patients to not come to harm. That's pretty important. We want it to be effective. We want it to be centered around their needs. We want it to come at the right time and not be delayed if possible. We'd like it to be efficient so we're avoiding waste and kind of waste of time, waste of resources. And we'd like it to be equitable so the people who who need the care the most are most likely to get it. Um, And they're the domains of healthcare quality that I think were first um, set out by the Institute of Medicine, but is now quite widely adopted by um, a lot of quality improvement organisations. So if you think about those kind of six areas, when you're doing QI, you'll probably have um, that in your mind. So when when we've got frustrating things that happen in our practices, things go wrong, often it's about there's been, you know, a waste of time or a system that didn't work properly, it was inefficient or... Um, so that's, you know, quite an important area of QI we look at. But we also do things like um, trying to um, get safer prescribing, don't we? We look at t- uh, things, how we can make sure we're, we're not missing people's important monitoring blood tests or um, or that we're prescribing stuff that is going to really help patients to live a longer and healthier life. So are we properly anticoagulating people with, people with atrial fibrillation? That would come into the effective domain. So if we think, if you think about those six domains, QI is designed to try and move you from where you are to where you would like to be on those and any of those those six domains. So I think rather than types of QI, because there's different approaches according to what you want to improve, I, I probably think more like what what you know what are the elements of quality of high quality healthcare perfect so um what do you think we should know before we talk about where to start our own projects i think it's important to maybe kind of know things about yourself that you um that are kind of useful to bring to the improvement process because i most people that i meet who work work in healthcare and beyond healthcare have actually got all sorts of habits been built already that will help them to make things better and and recognizing what habits you've got both yourself and within the teams that you work with can be really kind of useful for improvements you make the most of everybody's strengths and skills so and um, we all know we all know don't we people who work who can make things better better than other people so they're people who are naturally curious you know those people who um when they spot something that's gone wrong in a, in say in your practice and you you have a query on the desk and that that prescription wasn't ready for that patient at the pharmacy or um, or an appointment's not been made when the person thought it had been made. There'll be people on the desk who'll just say, "Oh, I'm really sorry about that," and they'll solve that immediate problem. So they'll um, they'll make sure the prescription's sent now, or they'll check them in and and um, and sort out something for them. And then those people who think, "I wonder why that happened. Why did that prescription not get through to the pharmacy? Or what happened? Why did we miss that appointment off?" And those people that have got that inbuilt curiosity to think about why something went wrong or why we're not already doing the thing that we want to be doing and are likely to be more natural improvers because they'll dig dig a little bit deeper really important habit i think being curious with them um, with quality improvement um, i think also thinking about um systems about you just being part of a much bigger system makes you a better improver so if you think beyond your immediate um, job that you do and think about the impact what you're doing might have on on something further down the system either and um, through a referral process or whatever you're likely to be a better improver and and I think I learned a lot really in these in the early days when I was starting to learn about quality improvement about my own habits that were perhaps working well for me but not necessarily working well for 
for other other parts of the system. And, and an example that I often give is the um, handling of slightly abnormal pathology results. So all the clinicians will recognize these. So um, particularly people who've got a slightly raised gamma GT, but, um, but everything else is fine in their liver function. And actually, you weren't really testing their liver function for because you thought there was a problem there. And you think to yourself, well, okay, maybe it's an opportunity to talk to them about alcohol. But do I really have time to do that? I'm not. I'm not sure. And um, the other result would be a um, a urine result that's got a, um, some white cells in it, but no growth. And you and you um, you desperately want to just file it as normal, but the little conscience on your shoulder is saying, "Oh, this is maybe a missed opportunity to ask kind of a sexual history and to find out whether they could be." They could have chlamydia or something else causing that result. So um, probably in the past, what I would have done is just kind of fired off a task to our um, our administrative team to ask them to you know get the patient to come in for an appointment, and then you can ask about these things and and, and kind of fail to recognise what would then happen beyond that. So I would think, okay, task done now. I've I've dealt with my results. I've asked for the patient to come in, and then I don't need to give it any thought. But what was then going on in the background was that the reception team was trying to get hold of the patient, and then they phoned them and they couldn't get through and so they made a note to themselves to ring them later but they couldn't get through so then they would have to send them a standard letter but finding that standard letter on the on the shared drive to the majors and when they found it then they had to print it out and and get it in an envelope and send it through the post it would go all the way through the postal system and then it would land on the patient's doorstep and they would open it and go oh god the doctor wants to see me my results are about my results so she, they phone up in a panic but they can't get through because it's first thing on a monday morning and there's, there's there's no phone availability and they eventually get through and they say well the doctor wants to see me and the receptionist looks for an appointment and the next one's in 10 days or two weeks time and the patient says oh I'm a bit worried but the reception reassures me says oh don't worry it's not it's the doctor doesn't say it's urgent but the patient still worries because obviously it's about result they don't know what it's about and so they book that appointment and then they phone every day for a cancellation because they're worried and the receptionist is taking all those phone calls and then there isn't a cancellation so they end up coming on the day but then they've you know they've got to drive and park and stop at the temporary traffic lights and eventually get in and then um, and then sit in the waiting room and maybe I'm running a bit late so they're sitting there for longer than they need to and they eventually come in and sit down in the chair and then I say how much do you drink and and they you know it's clearly ridiculous the amount of waste that there is in that process um because I was just thinking about me finishing off my result is massive and 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 so an awareness of waste really important for improvement and, and spotting that that waste things that we we think we um we should do because we've always done always done it without questioning can generate a lot of waste in the system and another another really interesting habit which and um, some people do naturally but i have to say in my experience not many which is that you see you see improvement as being testing out doing something new to see whether it makes the difference you want and and it's quite different from um other, other approaches like a project management approach where you've got to do something major and it's got lots of steps to it and you plan it all out in advance and it's very structured and it can feel quite overwhelming but with a lot of really good qi it's about knowing exactly what you need to improve and why you need to improve it but you don't necessarily know how you're going to do it unless you try some things out so a little bit like you know a child that's that's given a toy a lego bricks or something they don't necessarily know what they're going to make with it but they'll try a few things and if the things fit together and it works out then they'll build on that and so qi is a little bit like a playful thing and obviously within the boundaries of safety um, clearly but you just test something out so it, it makes it much less overwhelming especially in a in a in a team so what what can happen sometimes in a team is somebody comes up with an idea of, of a new thing they want to they want to do 
but they're not quite clear why they want to do it or what it's designed to improve. That's that's, that's the first problem that the hole that they fall down so other people don't quite get why they want to do introduce this thing because they don't understand the the why the reasons Um, and also the introducing the project feels quite quite overwhelming because it's a big deal whereas instead if they sometimes approach it as oh I I, I think we've got a problem with um, patients accessing their results and I'd quite like to test out what would happen if we started texting them their results it suddenly feels like something that's that's oh okay well why don't we test it out it doesn't feel quite as big and overwhelming it doesn't feel like you've already made the decision about this is going to be the solution to all your problems it's a different kind of language and a different approach um, and and ends up developing a kind of culture of improvement in an organization and the team where um, they're not going to feel so kind of blamed if their great idea doesn't work out because it wasn't they didn't say that their great idea was going to be the answer instead they approached it as Oh, let's should we just try this out and see if it it achieves the thing that we want it to achieve? It's um it's kind of a more positive approach and it generates a real improvement culture in a, in an organisation. It's much more positive and kind of more manageable and achievable, like you say. Yeah, it is. But you, you I mean, it's very helpful with QI though, is as well as having those kind of that habits, those that language, that that what I call a QI approach, is that if you also. Um, have got some awareness of some of the really useful tools that you can use. So, you know, using a, a, a defined quality improvement tool isn't a compulsory thing in QI. You can, you know, there's all sorts of different ways you can do it systematically without using someone else's tool. But actually, these tools have been quite tried and tested. So um, it, in all sorts of different environments, it's not a bad thing to know know some of them and to, to test them out in your own environment. Yeah. Will you mind telling us more about these tools? Yes, and I, I think sometimes it's helpful to to think about the tools in terms of what part of the QI process you're in. Okay. So the first stage is understanding your problem. What problem it is that you, are you trying to fix? That's really um really important thing to have in your head in QI. And I think I mentioned before, some often people have been to other practices or they've talked to friends, colleagues, and they they're doing something differently in their practice. And they want to bring it to their own practice, but they do it sometimes without knowing what problem it is that they're trying to fix. And because don't you don't need to change something if it doesn't need to change. So really understand: is it that we've got a problem with um, patients accessing our care? Is it that we can't get prescriptions out in time? Is it that we're not monitoring them effectively, or whatever it is? Have some way of looking at at what problem you've got, and and different ways of doing that. I mean, going to your data is not a bad starting point. So data um, about your practice is really quite um, freely available. A lot of people don't know where to look for it. So you can find out on things like the Public Health England website. You can find out how your practice is doing compared to, you know, national averages and your neighbouring practices and all sorts of public health indicators. So, um, you know, are you are you controlling people's blood pressure? Are you and um, are your patients with diabetes achieving the targets that they that that you'd like them to? So, all those kind of public health and clinical indicators and um, smear uptake is all available on public health websites. You can look at your um, patient satisfaction um, scores compared to other practices using GP patient survey. Um, you can look at your prescribing indicators on openprescribing.net, which is an amazing a site for looking at how you're doing for things like antimicrobials or benzodiazepines or things that you might think are not necessarily great prescribing habits and you can to look to see you know how you're you can benchmark yourself which can be great but 
benchmarking, although it's a, it is a useful tool, um, it does need to be taken in context. So I, I, we know full well that health um, indices outcomes are very related to the demographic of our um, practices, where we're located, and um, deprivation, all sorts of things. So I think bear that in mind. Obviously, we would like to address health inequalities, but you might find that you'd be better to look at how you're doing compared to places with a similar demographic in order to work out whether you've got something that needs fixing. So, you know, certainly um, take that into context. But I mean, data really useful, but lots of in-house data that you can look at. So often the medical systems have their own kind of population searches and things where you can see, um, you know, how you're doing on various parameters. If you look at kind of COF indicators, most medical systems have got built-in ways of setting that up. There are different bolt-ons tools that people sometimes um, kind of buy in or get um, offered freely from things like their CCG or like to look to how they're doing for on parameters like AF prescribing or or monitoring. So useful data, go to your data and see whether whether you've got um, something that needs fixing. Um, but then there's also naturally occurring data, isn't there? So a little bit like I mentioned before, if you had lots of people coming to the desk to get their prescriptions because they'd been to the pharmacy and they weren't there and they told that they would be there, um, your reception teams or people on the front desk you know, they're picking this up all the time. That's not naturally occurring data. They might want to measure it for a bit to see is it frequent enough for us to need to fix this problem, but um, but it's there. They can see it. So that's a you know a, a useful thing to kind of really to look at where we might start. What are our major areas that we'd like to improve? What are the things that are causing us the most hassle at the moment? Well, and then once you've decided what what broad area that you think is causing you the most difficulty that you're going to try and improve. Then you might want to use a slightly more formal tool to unpick it. And there's a number of those. So um, a few um, ones that I find useful. So process mapping, very useful. That's a, a team exercise where everybody that's involved in a particular process in your practice gets together, um, ideally together in the same room around a big table or around a wall where you can stick post-it notes. But um, there are ways of doing it virtually and electronically these days. I don't think they're quite as good, but... Um, you know, sometimes needs must. Um, but basically, you use little post-it notes to map out what happens with the, with the process. So, for example, you might choose a repeat prescribing process. If you were finding that prescriptions weren't ready, you might decide that you would want to use a process mapping exercise to unpick exactly what happens from the beginning, starting point to the end, where the end point is a patient successfully collecting their prescription from the pharmacy. And, and having the key players in the room will help you to look at an area that you don't know anything about. So I know my bit. I know when it comes through to me or it might be due review or it needs signing. But do I really know what happens further upstream and downstream in that process? We you know probably not. Um, and having a patient in the room, they'll they'll start it somewhere different. So a process map prescribing a lot, you tend to start it when you, all the different ways that prescription requests come to the practice. But if you've got a patient in the room, they start it from when they're realising they're running out of their tablets, which is really important, isn't it? Because some people realise when they're on their last one and some people realise a week before. And so looking at what might help that process to run more smoothly. So where's the waste Where's the bits where things always go wrong? So you map it and identify key areas that you might want to improve. So, um, And what's lovely about process mapping is that it helps you to achieve something which is really important for the next stage. It, it helps you to achieve a shared understanding of a problem with the people that are going to need to help you fix that problem. So shared understanding is something that will really help 
everybody that's involved in the next stage of improvements to stay on track with them um, because they'll understand the why we were going to we wanted to try this thing out because when we mapped that prescribing system out we realized that things were waiting too long to be reviewed or you know so the, whatever it is we're testing we we, sh- we shared the agreement that that was the priority area which which is just really helpful because quality improvement is a team exercise you'll you won't have a sustained um, effective improvement if you do it on your own. So spending a, a really um, kind of a significant amount of time at the beginning of a project trying to unpick it is is important. So we've done some really um, fascinating things in, um, in our practice when we were trying to reduce the number of incoming phone calls. So we actually spent about a week or so, maybe think maybe two weeks, two lots of um, five days recording on a tally chart the reasons people phone in. So if you don't know the actual major categories about what people are ringing you for, how do you know what intervention is going to make the most difference? So you might then choose an intervention based specifically on that unpicking. I mean, it surprised us really. One of the things which I had no realisation of at all, which I'm sure our um, reception teams would have have been able to tell me, is the number of times people were phoning in just to check something. So they've got an appointment, but they're phoning in just to check when that appointment is, or they've requested their prescription online or by some other means, but they're phoning just to check we've got it or just to check it's been done. So then you might think of an intervention that would help to reassure your practice population that whatever it is that they've asked is is happening they might you know you might think about an intervention that way so it just helps you to have a better understanding of your of, of your problem yeah yeah that's really fascinating and there's some really good tips there on things that people can like practically do to properly understand the issue yes i don't it's never wasted it's never wasted time it's never and and then the next stage once you've really decided and, and you have a great understanding of what it is that you're trying to fix, then you can start to apply a bit of a kind of a systematic way of fixing that thing, testing out some stuff. And that's where we, in healthcare, we tend to recommend using the IHI model for improvement. So for the next stage, for how am I going to fix this thing? Um, and, and the model for improvement starts with answering three questions. So you answer three questions about your improvement. The first one is, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? And this is where you um, we talk about smart objectives, don't we, when we're looking at PDPs and all sorts of that. So this needs to be really specific and measurable. So if you were to look at something like um, blood pressure control, so we are going to um, get 90% of our patients um, under the age of 80 to, to 140 over 90 within the next six months. So you set yourself a time scale which you know you can adjust if it doesn't if if you start having a go at the improvement and it's not realistic you might adjust that but you could but at least you've got it you've got a clear measurable outcome that's the that's the first the first model for improvement question what am i trying to accomplish the next bit is how will i know that i've achieved it so what am i going to measure um, and this is the bit i think people do struggle with quite a lot so something like the example i've just said well you'll be able to find out from your medical system how many people under the age of 80 have achieved that blood pressure target but you might need to be really specific am I going to measure this monthly so am I going to map it every month am I going to map it weekly um so am I am I also going to have some kind of process measures so your outcome measure is have you achieved the 140 over 90 and how many and how many people but on, on route with that you might also have some process measures like how many people's blood pressure are we measuring or how many review dates that are overdue have we got? Because they might be things that you're 
you know, testing out to try and get yourself to your to your target. So you might have some what we call process measures. And then you also might need something called a balance measure. So in that second model for improvement question, how will we know that we've accomplished it, that we've achieved it? And thinking about what might what might go wrong or what, what, what that might not go according to plan on route and what you what else you might need to measure. So, for example, if you were looking at calling in lots of people in to get their blood pressure measured and that meant that you had a massive long wait for healthcare assistant or practice nurse appointments and nobody could get in for their smears, that wouldn't necessarily be a good thing. So a balance measure is a, is quite important. So balance measures are really helpful for getting teams on board with something, especially those who can think about what might go wrong quite readily. And they're sometimes seen as being people who are resistant to change. Um, and that's, I mean, that might be true, but often it's actually that they're quite deep thinkers and they and they they have concerns, um, and if those concerns are heard and incorporated in balanced measures, okay, well we'll need to look out for that. Um, then actually they're really useful and they've got a role to play. So it's it's a really good thing for for building teams. I think everybody needs someone that's a bit um that's a bit cautious really in a in a team. That's that's very good for safety. And um, so yeah, just make the most of them. So you've got your measures. And then the third question, so we've got our model for improvement. We've got what are we trying to accomplish, question one. How will we know that we've achieved it? It's question two. And the third one is what ideas are we going to test out to see what difference they make? And this is where um, it's really kind of, again, and really great to have ideas from a team because people will come up with things that they they think might make the difference. And no one will actually know which one of those things will make the difference in your context they might know what made a difference down the road or in a study that they read or a a quality improvement paper that they read but until it's tested out in your context you don't really know so often you've got a number of ideas that you might test out and then each idea as you test them out and we the model for improvement suggests you then plug that idea into something called a pdsa cycle yes and pdsa and which you've probably heard of and stands for plan do study act um, and it isn't rocket science. It's basically plan the thing you're going to do. Okay, do it, <laughs> do the thing. Um, while you, at the same time as doing it, being curious and um, looking out for things that might be going wrong, gather your data to see whether it's making a difference. The study is when you look at the data. So you look at your the, the numbers that you've been collecting, say, are we making a difference to these blood pressures or to the number of antibiotics we're prescribing um, or, or are the balance measures showing us that something bad's happening and then the act bit is whether you 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 adopt that thing that you've changed. So did it work? We're going to, or do we need to adapt it because it kind of worked, but I think we probably should tweak it and do it this way, or should we just abandon it because actually it made things worse? Because actually some things you test out do make things worse. And then and I mean, a, I think a lovely example of that is a practice that um, I knew of that um, was trying to reduce the number of missed appointments, so the DNAs, and they put up one of those posters in the waiting room to say how many people had missed their appointment um, in the preceding month. And as they gathered the data, actually more people missed their appointment. And, and, and I, you know, could have easily been a coincidence because obviously variable data does often change month on month. But actually you need to open your mind up to the thing that your change might make things worse. So in that situation, possibly the poster normalised missed attendances. So somebody saw that, you know, there's 100 missed appointments. So actually their one doesn't really seem like a big deal. (laughs) You know, well, everyone misses the odd one. Maybe it not. I mean, I don't know. But we need to always be open minded to 
harm that we might cause yeah. and abandon abandon that improvement initiative if in fact it made things worse so um you know try test out something else you know and you'll gather as you as you try out different ways of doing things you'll basically you know move to where you where you think you what you think might make a difference your hunch to actually what makes real change happen and make um an improvements happen in practice and because you've done it in a in small chunks it just feels more manageable from a practical point of view, Joanna, with that, so you've you've maybe got those couple of ideas that you're wanting to test in your context. Um, would you? I'm assuming you wouldn't be running things alongside each other. You'd try one thing with the PDSA, and then you'd maybe try the next thing. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Lisa. The ideal is that you try one thing at a time, so that you'll know what what's made the difference, and if any harm has come to the process, you'll know that. Um, doing that actually in real life is quite hard, um, especially if people have spent a lot of time unpicking a problem because their ideas about what might fix it have really been flowing as part of that understanding and doing all that diagnosis at the beginning. Um, and so, you, you know, if, people, if some things that just feel like a no-brainer and if they're easy and they're unlikely to cause harm, uh, yeah, I think in, in real life you just make things happen, don't you? And the, people do run things simultaneously quite often. Um, just you know, often just due to enthusiasm, I, I'm, I've never I've never criticised that. I think we've done that plenty of times ourselves. But ideally, you know, one at a time, so you know what make, what's made the difference. Amazing. So once we've gone through all of those bits and we've and we've tested and we've looked at um, implementing something, how do we know that we've actually made a proper improvement, and how do we communicate that well? Yeah, I think it's a really, really important question. Thank you for asking. It's about how we, how we gather our data and how we display it. And so if you've, if you've answered the second question for model improvement well and you've got a really good measure, um, then try to create something that makes that visual for people. Um, and, um, a simple way is just doing a line graph that's over time. So if you're gathering something monthly or weekly, you know, plot it on a chart and see it either going up or going down and um, hopefully whichever you'd like it to do. And, and if you were doing something like how many people have got their blood pressure to target and you're doing an intervention on that, if your interventions are working, you'll see a, you know, basically either a reduction in the number of people who aren't to target month on month or an increase in the number of people who are, depending on how you've decided to display it. And either way is fine. Um, and that's really a, a lovely visual for people who've been involved in that project to see. And it can be quite motivating if it's going in the right direction. Um, but yeah, I think you do need to be quite mindful of certain processes where it would normally vary a lot week on week or month on month so that you don't interpret something as either being an improvement or actually that it's got worse when actually it's just a, a, it's just going to normally vary in something in QI. Um, terms we call common cause variation. So variation just due to the fact that um, something different's happened that week. Um, and a good example of that is things like antibiotic prescribing, because that will vary a lot from week to week or month to month according to how many people we've had in with particularly infectious conditions. If it, unless you're in a very, very big population with big numbers, you'll find there's quite a lot of variation in that. Um, but there are ways of, of um, using quality improvement tools to see whether something is better or worse, even if it varies quite a lot. And um, it's quite a complex um, thing to probably talk through on a podcast, but um, and hopefully some of the links that you've got, um, you'll take people to that. Because what we use for variable data is something called a run chart, where you do still plot the points, but you're looking for shifts and trends in that in that data. Um, and they're quite straightforward rules to interpret once you've um, you know had to go at a few. But, um, but certainly try to get it done visually and to plot it over time. So because all improvement is something that takes time to create, don't just think about it in terms of a before and after data set. 
because it's um if it's for improvement to be sustained you want to watch it over a longer period of time to see what's happening and i think that's probably my greatest criticism of the traditional style of clinical audit is that we would do two data sets wouldn't we would we decide what we were going to improve and gather data at the beginning and make some change and then bingo everything's great um, and you've got the second data set and then if you were then to to run that forward for another year, especially if you've left that post and no one's bothered about the project anymore, you go back to where you were, you know, in the first instance. So what, what good QI does is it, it encourages you to think, how am I going to change a system in the practice so that these things, that these ideas we've tested out are sustained and sustainable. So new people coming in know this is how we do things now because, um, because it generates a better change. It's like working smart as well, isn't it? It's it's putting processes in place so that there's less patient safety, <laughs> you know, areas. Because you want to build it into business as usual, don't you? You don't want it to be based on just a few individuals happen to remember that thing. Because we've got so many things that, you know, healthcare is so complex, isn't it? Just keeping people well and, and helping to um, manage long-term conditions. We just need it to be as as automated and as built yeah. in so that it's just business as usual yeah perfect and just the, the like you talked about if you're getting the whole team on board with thinking about quality improvement you can see how that would keep perpetuating and um, so if you've improved one thing and you've managed to show that it's kind of worked it gets people on board for the next time you do it and you can see how it could keep evolving so that the practice could keep improving it does, and it's a bit addictive and and then you you kind of celebrate things people say, oh, you suddenly hear you know one of your teams saying should we try this out? And you think that's, you know, that's the, that, that's the approach we want, this kind of, um, a kind of an enthusiasm for, for small tests of change. That's the culture. Yeah, a culture in the practice. I think probably what maybe I forgot to touch on at the beginning was, um, was the concept of an organisational culture that will um, be more likely to be able to create improvement and embed it. Um, because I know that not everybody works in an environment where it, that's easy. Um, and um, and it's a little bit like I suppose trying to sow your seed of an idea in an infertile ground, and it can be really frustrating. Um, and and looking at how you might help to develop a, um, an organisational culture that's good for improvement, I think sometimes needs to start even before you start your diagnosing your problem and looking at your data. Um, it's do, do you actually get to meet together? Do people um, talk to each other? Do they share ideas? Um, do they feel blamed when things go wrong? Because that's a really difficult environment to improve things in. If your if you um, your idea doesn't work out and somebody is is you know blaming it and said I told you so or whatever, then that's going to be a real challenge for you. Um, and practices are so busy they forget sometimes that you'll do better in the long term if you spend a little bit of time just to stop and think and to stop and discuss and to um that we we just pedaling so fast to get the day job done and and sometimes you can actually pedal slightly less fast because you've stopped and you've removed one of the things that you need to work on because you because you've you've put you've created a different system you spent time over it so being able to value time spent trying to fix problems as a team is 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 a really important part of culture and, and yeah, and, and, and it's a, it's the hardest thing to change, but it is something that can be gradually moved as people start to recognize the value of it. Do you get your non-clinical staff involved in, it sounds like process mapping, yes, but in terms of actually, um, quality improvement projects? Well, because so much of what, what we do to make safe, effective care is actually non-clinical. It's about what goes on in the background is that actually, I think they probably do more of it than anybody else. 
So, um, yeah, you mentioned quite a few resources already and we'll link to everything that you've said. Are there, what are the main resources that you wanted to let people know about today? When we were creating the resources for the Royal College um, of GP website, um, I did it with a colleague, Bill Taylor from Aberdeen, who'd been working in improvement for some time. We spent quite a lot of time trying to filter through the tools and um, that were out there for QI that had been used in secondary care and make them a little bit more relevant to general practice and primary care. So I would probably think that that's your best port of call they're, um, they're now um, kind of condensed down to something called Quick Guides. So a quick guide to organisational culture, a quick guide to process mapping, which gives you a real kind of step-by-step approach to that. Um, I know we've talked about it before on the uh, podcast, but um, Amar Rigani and, um, and me have co-written a book related to leadership in primary care. And we've got quite an extensive section on, um, on QI in there, quite a few chapters on understanding your problem before you fix it, how to use model for improvement, um, as well as bits, tips on organisational culture. So um, the, there's quite, a, hopefully quite a lot of good information in there. Perfect. And so in terms of the take home messages for today, what do you think you'd like people to take home from our chat? Think that you can make a difference. It can be really difficult when you're kind of busy all the time to believe that you can but I, I but it you know you, you can if you if you've got the right kind of people around you and you um, are happy to to lead on something but make sure you really understand what problem it is you're trying to fix so try not to just lift somebody else's idea and put it into your own context without really understanding the why because it will help not only you to focus on um, on exactly what parts of your system you might need to change but it'll also help your team to to um, come on board with you if you all understand why you're why you're trying to make a change um, and measure it and um, so I know not everyone's as into numbers as I am I'm massively interested in in looking at the what data can help to um, us to know if we're making a difference but do do have some kind of measure so that you know if you've succeeded and um, you can also you know you can have some qualitative stuff does everyone seem happier do we feel less busy but also have something that's measurable and then you can you can demonstrate it to your teams about what fantastic work they've been doing thank you so much joanna we've not we've not actually heard you talk about quality improvement before i don't think but we've heard a lot about you and quality improvement so it's been very nice to chat about it today thank you so yeah, it was it was lovely to actually be able to, like I said at the end there, be able to speak to Joanna about quality improvement, of which she knows so much. What did you take away from the chat with her today, Sarah? Yeah, I really like talking to her about it because I think I need motivating to remember why um, it's important. I, and it is really important. It's really obvious when you talk to somebody like, oh yeah, no, it's, but it it's very hard when you're working day to day to find the time to do it. Um, and I think it needs to be a discussion and things like that, especially at the moment, general practice has been very difficult, but it's all about, like she said at the beginning, there's two things to your job, there's your job, and then there's um, imp- how to improve your job. And um, yeah, it, it improves your job, it can improve patients' lives, it can improve so many things. And that that whole thing about health inequalities and equitable care, I think that's this is kind of a cornerstone of it. So yeah. It's picking it up and putting it somewhere and then whenever there's time or within the practice having time to sort of go through how and like she said creating a culture within the practice but yeah it's finding like it's, it's taking that dedicated time and space to think about kind of where you are and where the big gaps are and where like if you've only got that little bit of time to spend on quality improvement I can see why it's really important to think about it in so much detail at the start because then you're putting your efforts into the most appropriate places and which feels efficient 
and and I also wrote down whenever she was talking about um, the different tools and things about data and process mapping that what seemed to be really important was doing that as a team and not as an individual because of being able to get sustained change um, because you get buy-in from everyone else in the in the practice which is going to be really important for taking things forward. Absolutely yeah and I really liked when she said about the model for improvement and the three questions that you want to ask yourself um the there was the one that was um this is just to as revision so what is it i'm trying to accomplish how will i know if i achieved it um but then as part of that sort of thinking what what else might be sacrificed because of that so um yes you might have a positive result but what 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 might we be missing and thinking about how you're going to measure that i thought that was really good as well yeah it was fascinating because i think the um i've gone through bits about don obedient approach and they talk about um process structure and outcome um, and she mentioned the process um measures that you can use the outcome measures you can use um, and that's all in that kind of model that i've oh, learned wow. before but i hadn't come across balance yeah. measures um, and that's a bit you're talking about where like yeah you look at what things could go could go wrong as a result of it and you make a measure for that and I think that's fascinating um, and really important to do yeah and then the third question just because when I'm listening to this I'll want to remember the three of them not bug me <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the third point was um what ideas are we going to test to see if uh, if we've made a difference and alongside that as well just thinking um like don't be scared to abandon them because you can get into this thing where you've put this effort in or it feels like you put a bit of effort in you've tried this new thing like people were kind of expecting it to do something good but actually the best thing for everyone might be to abandon what you did and I think it's it's quite important to not be scared to do that yeah because especially if you've finally got the effort and energy to go off and do something (laughs) that might be disheartening but being like oh well you know at least we tried and it'll get easier next time Exactly. So if you want to get in touch with us, um, you can do so in a number of different ways and we'll link to everything in the episode description. I guess thank you to Joanna for taking part today and thank you to all of our listeners out there who've made it to this point in the episode. Um, <laughs> we really appreciate you staying on to hear our learning points. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for the people who filled out the surveys. We've made a little note of all the suggestions um, and actually we're sort of planning a few episodes. So we're taking them on board and um, we're hoping you're going to be happy about some of the topics that we'll be covering so till next time on primary care knowledge boost this podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of gp excellence wigan borough ccg greater manchester training hub and the gp fellowship program as well as greater manchester health and social care partnership Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in Greater Manchester in 2021. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before you make treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.